Run the Army's race in person at the Pentagon. Army 10-Miler general registration is now open. Go to Army10Miler.com to register today. General registration presented by General Dynamics. Register today at Army10Miler.com. Welcome to the Christian Outlook, the weekly radio program that sorts through the issues in our fast-changing world in a way that honors your Christian faith. Brought to you in partnership with our sponsor, the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. We'll look at lessons learned by parents after three years of pandemic. Just a minute. I want you to teach my child how to read and write, not some radical gender agenda. Parents are waking up to the dangers of social media generally, and TikTok in particular. Albert Moeller. You look at this and you recognize that as human beings, we are not made to be bombarded with all of this darkness. And that's true whatever age we are. Alistair Begg looks at our current moment. You realize that we're in another climate altogether. With encouragement on how we ought to respond. It is wonderfully encouraging to just see lives and families touched and changed by the truth of God's Word. We have all this and more. I'm Don Crow. Great to be with you again. You can catch my program each weekday here in the Beltway at WAVA.com and also through the TuneIn radio app. Take a moment to follow the Christian Outlook on Twitter at TC Outlook. That's TC Outlook. Thanks for joining us. We'll begin with a look at our fast-changing world from Gary Bauer. He's a veteran in the fight for the family. Over the years, he's served with Focus on the Family. He's now with James Dobson's Family Institute. Bauer has noticed how recent efforts to protect youth from transgender activism has been framed, oddly, as somehow an attack on vulnerable trans kids. Gary was a guest on my program. If you listen to the liberal media, there's an odd narrative out there. It goes something like this. Since Christians lost the battle over same-sex marriage, they are desperately searching for a new target in their right-wing culture war. And according to the left's narrative, Christians have decided to go after vulnerable trans kids. Now, as usual, you say the left has it exactly backwards. So take us into this uh, uh, reversal of what's really happening, which is one of their modus operandi techniques, isn't it? Yes, it, it sure is. It's uh, and and they unfortunately they they're very effective with this technique. Um, so as you said, the charge here is that uh, conservative Christians uh, lost the battle over things like same-sex marriage, and so then we set out to look for something else that we could use to substitute in the aggressive culture war that we are waging. That's their narrative. In fact, what's happened is that uh, the radical LGBTQ movement and their allies in this new phenomena of uh, transgenderism and all of the foolishness that surrounds that went on the attack culturally and all over America. So suddenly, and we noticed this as parents, particularly during the COVID shutdowns, when a lot of our children were home uh, going to school by Zoom, uh, parents began to notice that really bizarre things were being introduced into the classroom to their children, often at very early ages. Uh, things about their, you know, there weren't two genders, there were 52 genders. If you're depressed or you don't feel quite right, 
maybe the reason uh, our children were being told, maybe the reason is that they assigned you the wrong gender at birth. And maybe you're a boy uh, trapped in a girl's, a little girl's body or vice versa. Then the next thing we started hearing about was this new phenomena of drag queen reading hours. I mean, this is insane. What is the public policy uh, purpose served by having men dressed up like women coming into libraries or schools to read to eight, nine, and ten-year-olds? It makes no sense. None of this was something that Orthodox Christians made up. This is something we began to notice as parents was being foisted on our children and, of course, parents loving their children, wanting to protect them, started going to school board meetings, and the rest is history. <laughs> Suddenly we are being presented as the aggressor as st- instead of merely trying to protect our kids. Well, as you're underscoring and as you point out in the article, we didn't start the fight, but certainly we're not going to walk away from it, and we are in the mode of playing defense as people of faith, and uh, even people who may not st- uh, claim a strong Christian concern or conviction, we might say, Gary, they still are very, many parents are very disturbed by this development. So they're being pulled into this battle as well. Don, you're, you're absolutely right. Certainly Christian parents are involved, uh, but parents of many different religious backgrounds and in some cases n- no religious background at all yeah. uh, still don't want their children taught bizarre things about human sexuality, love and sex, and a host of other issues. In addition to that, in spite of the effort of the media to make it sound like this is a a movement led by white supremacy, absolutely absurd. In fact, it's been very striking and very encouraging to see minority parents, black parents, Hispanic, Asian, people of many backgrounds saying, just a minute, I want you to teach my child how to read and write. I want you to teach them correct American history. Prepare them for the jobs of, of the future. Not some radical gender agenda made up by Planned Parenthood or some other group with uh, ultimate goals here that remain kind of murky but make absolutely no sense. And by the way, Don, we, we saw a version of this over Mother's Day weekend when all over social media there were men pretending to be women claiming that they were in fact mothers it makes no sense it's insanity and every parent needs to stand up against this indeed parents have been saying wait a minute to a number of things including the dangers of social media our friend albert moeller looked at a report on TikTok on his briefing podcast Many people in the United States and elsewhere know that we are facing a huge challenge when it comes to social media. And we know honestly that that's true for adults. We understand as adults just how addictive, and for that matter, how seductive and dangerous so much of what appears in social media can be. We understand how difficult it is to differentiate between truth and reality. We also know that there are certain things we simply don't need to see. There are certain things it would be sin for us to see. And yet when it comes to some platforms and social media, it turns out that they basically run on something that could only be described as absolute adrenaline-filled temptation. And central to that is TikTok. 
And that's why a very important essay appeared yesterday. This one was at the Wall Street Journal. It's by Julie Jargon in the Family and Tech column of that newspaper. And I think the frankness of this article is what deserves a much closer look. The headline, TikTok Feeds Teens a Diet of Darkness. Now, I started out by saying that I think it's important that adults recognize just how seductive this is for us. We understand just how fast one can fall into a rabbit hole with social media. We understand just how much like some kind of addictive substance these very short videos can capture our attention. And, of course, there's just one more, and it leads to even more. And the feed is populated with even more. And the next thing you know, you have just seen 75 puppy videos. But if they were really all puppy videos, we wouldn't be having this conversation. There are much, much darker narratives in social media. There are much, much darker messages that are being sent out, particularly on TikTok with effects on teens. As Julie Jargon reports, quote, a recent study found that when researchers created accounts belonging to fictitious 13-year-olds, they were quickly inundated with videos about eating disorders, body image, self-harm, and suicide. Now, just remember that the Wall Street Journal is a pro-business publication. TikTok's a business. But when it comes to this business, the Wall Street Journal's been onto it for some time. Back in 2021, the newspaper ran an investigation which, quote, found that TikTok steers viewers to dangerous content, end quote. We're then told that TikTok since then has in some sense, strengthened parental controls, and the company went on to promise, quote, a more even-keeled algorithm. But in this case, Julie Jargon goes on to report that current evidence is that the company is still sending all kinds of dark messages to American adolescents, indeed what she calls a diet of darkness. These researchers went to these accounts and for 30 minutes at a time documented the kind of material directed to the accounts. Remember that these accounts were set up as teenagers, even as 13-year-olds, and the material directed to them, well, according to this study, if researchers, and again, they were posing as adolescents, if they paused at all on matters about mental health, then TikTok, quote, almost immediately recommended videos about suicide and eating disorders. Quote, videos about body image and mental health popped up on the account's for you pages every 39 seconds, end quote. TikTok says it's taking responsibility to moderate its content, and yet the standards by which that content is moderated, they're not going to be the standards that I think should be, at least I hope they would not be, the standards that would be expected by America's parents, particularly Christian parents. You look at this and you recognize that as human beings, we are not made to be bombarded with all of this darkness. And that's true whatever age we are. It is warping to the personality. It is corrosive to the soul. We were not made to saturate ourselves and just to marinate ourselves in this kind of darkness. But the rabbit holes that are warned about in this particular study are rabbit holes into which young people are falling. And in many cases, they're falling right down the hall. They're falling, perhaps, even there in the family room, sitting on the couch. I just want to remind parents, you are responsible for your children. You're responsible for setting the rules. You're responsible for what technology they have and they do not have. You would not, as children and young adults, encourage them to go and play in the traffic. But that's effectively what is taking place in social media. And even if it is sight unseen to you, and that's really the point, isn't it? It's all the more dangerous because it is sight unseen to you. The minds of many of our children and young people are being marinated in this darkness, 
and all kinds of messages are bombarding them that would be very difficult for any adult to take. Indeed, would be toxic for any adult to digest as well. And here's the thing. We're doing this to ourselves. One of the most interesting comments I heard just recently in the media was the fact that many young people said, as according to a major media report, they simply said, I would prefer to have the time with TikTok rather than to be forced to spend time with family or even to spend time with friends, because the effect of so much social media is anything but socialization. And when you think of the rise and fall of civilizations, you tend to think of vast economic, political, cultural movements, the marching of armies, the winning and the losing of battles. But what if it turns out that the decline and fall of our civilization has everything to do with the transition from puppy videos to eating disorder videos and worse? Coming up, how should the Christian respond to the changes and challenges we're facing today? It is wonderfully encouraging to just see lives and families touched and changed by the truth of God's Word. When the Christian Outlook continues in a moment. I bow my head to pray. I don't know what to say. As the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy celebrates our 25th anniversary year, please watch our new promotional video based on Ronald Reagan's 1976 radio address, Shaping the World for 100 Years to Come, on our Pepperdine SPP YouTube channel. And if you know someone who's thinking about graduate school this fall, we welcome applications at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. That's publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. Welcome back to The Christian Outlook. I'm Don Crow. The changes that we're seeing in the country and in our culture today can leave many wondering, how should I respond? Alistair Begg has been encouraging leaders to get back to basics. Herschel York of Southern Seminary and Colin Smith of the Orchard Church in the Chicago area partnered with him for this year's Basics Conference. Bob Lapine moderated their discussion on the Truth For Life podcast. Alistair, I've often said that it seems to me that the average layman in the time of the Puritans knew more theology than the average pastor in America does today. Yeah, that sounds salutary, doesn't it? But, I mean, that would be Sinclair's expression. You know, Sinclair would say that in his experience with uh, seminary students, that the average, and this runs somewhat counter to what you're saying, that the average person shows up there with less of a grasp of biblical knowledge than was held by the average 13-year-old boy in Scotland at the turn of the century. That the framework out of which they're coming is very, very different from that which has been schooled in the things of Christ, the memorization of Scripture and everything else, their ability to actually pinpoint where certain things happen in the Bible is uh, a lot less than it's ever been. But, um, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm not discouraged. I think in some ways it was hyperbole on my part to, to, in order to make the point. Uh, you wouldn't have written it down if it was whole hum. <laughs> and in some ways, I think what I was saying was, what Packer was saying years ago when they asked him about uh, evangelicalism in America, he said it's 3,000 miles wide and six inches deep. And uh, I don't think he was trying to be unkind. I think that, again, was his observation of things. And that is, of course, before the great resurgence of 
you know, uh, the, the arrival of Puritan literature, the, the interest in uh, the things of God amongst young people, as uh, both my friends are saying. But the jury's out for me on whether the most recent wave of interest in Reformed theology amongst guys under the age of 40 is a sustainable situation. As uh, you made the comment this morning that um, the authority of emotionalism has triumphed the authority of Scripture, and that does seem to be generally true. Emotionalism is the supreme authority in the culture today, but we're seeing that drift into the church yeah, I think so. I mean, it's almost inevitable, isn't it? That, uh, I mean, the the questions about, um, someone was asking the other day about abusive pastors. And you realize that, I mean, if you'd say to somebody, um, would you please uh, pick that up? They say, oh, excuse me? Uh, nobody asked me to pick anything up. Uh, would you take your feet off the seat? Well, I'm going to have to call in somebody because this is not a safe space for me. I'm, I'm, I, you have made me very unsafe. Oh, you mean by asking to take your feet off the seat so the lady doesn't get your shoes on her dress? Yes. So we're in another, we're in another climate altogether. Well, we are. The, I mean, the, there's no question that as a culture, something has shifted. The, the ground beneath our feet has shifted, and the boundaries that we assumed are gone. And in fact— it's not even coherent. The center will not hold. And you, you you can't have a denial of reality. And you can't have a completely egocentric worldview for everybody. That just simply doesn't work <laughs> that what you say is attacking me. What you say makes me feel unsafe. Well, what if I feel unsafe because you feel unsafe? <laughs> uh, what does that do to me? And so you're, you're right. There There is a real shift there. But I just believe if you look at the history of Christianity, it's into vacuums such as this that the gospel really shines. Mm-hmm. We have maybe in the United States looked at the U.K. and the decline, the post-Christian nature of the U.K. and thought, well, that could never happen here. And yet we look around today and go, it it seems the shadows of the U.K. have spread across what's happening in the United States. Are you hopeful for what's happening here? Are we going to be like like Europe? It, it, it strikes me that there are two sides to that story. So, I mean, it's certainly true that the decline in the influence of Christianity in general has been very, very marked uh, in the U.K., the uh, numbers attending church, uh, very, very low indeed. But what has happened over a long period of time, I think, is that people of nominal faith have been kind of washed out from the life of the church. Mm. Now, at some point, you get down to such a low level that actually what you have is small churches that are substantially made of real believers. And I actually think that in some ways there are more encouragements now in the UK than certainly 20 years ago because you've got believers who say, well, we're going to pray. We're going to try and plant a church. We're going to take initiative. In some ways, there are less divisions than there were in in earlier decades. And there's a sense of, well, we may be small, but we're the Lord's and we're, we're going to exercise faith here. And there are many, many examples of enterprises that are greatly encouraging. I wonder whether, if it is the case that there will be a diminishing of the number 
of people who would claim the name Christian in this country. Could it be that with that, there might actually be some raising of the spiritual temperature Mm. that might indeed uh, be the beginning of some renewed work of God in our country for his praise and his glory? What's your sense? No, I think that's really good. I I don't think there's any doubt that there's no no sort of... um, cachet about being a Christian in Britain. Hmm. You know, we get in a taxi or right on the tube. It's uh, the idea that pluralism would be would be great because then we could put our little stand beside all the other little stands and we could argue our case. Except now our stand has been cancelled because we're prepared to make claims that, that uh, although the the reach of the gospel is for the whole world and for everybody. The entry point is through one person and one person alone, namely Jesus. And, of course, that is obviously opposed. The good news, is, as Colin is saying, though, is that, and I think I've seen this in COVID too, in part, that many of the external concentric circles of church attendance uh, washed away and haven't come back. There may be good in that, that they've gone to better places or involved in different ways. But I think it's partly the same thing, that uh, when the temporary is turned up, the chocolate soldiers melt. Mm-hmm. And the ones that are there and are trusting and are believing and are keen um, are able to, to make an impact. I don't want to be the prophet of doom. I, we started off here, you know, that I said you quoted me. But it, I, I agree. I, I'm not pessimistic about these things for the very reasons that are being stated. How can we be in relationship to the greatest story that the world could ever know? And also, if you think about England, if you imagine England before the Wesleys, if you want to think about darkness and emptiness and manifold chaos, and then what happens? Mrs. Wesley has a couple of boys. <laughs> Mrs. Wheatfield has a baby, you know, and... Uh, who knows who's who's uh, giving birth to to the people that are going to be holding the standard for righteousness in generations still to come that's what we're doing as pastors that's why i'm in you know psalm 71 17 and 18 now ever since i turned 70 you know oh lord thank you you've watched over me for all this time now keep me to gray hairs and old age until i see the truth of the gospel firmly established in the generations that are yet to come and that's what we're seeking to do and it's, uh, it is wonderfully encouraging to just see lives and families touched and changed by the truth of God's Word. Coming up... It comes back to teaching the Bible in our churches, in our homes, in our own personal study. When the Christian Outlook returns in a moment... Hi, it's Mike Gallagher. I start every day by reading through the stories at Daybreak Insider. In just 10 minutes, I can zip through 10 stories that help me start my day and help shape where I go with The Mike Gallagher Show. Over a quarter million people get Daybreak Insider by email daily, and it's available to you at no cost. Go to daybreakinsider.com and simply plug in your email. That's daybreakinsider.com. In five minutes, you will be the most informed person in the office. That's daybreakinsider.com. Welcome back to The Christian Outlook, brought to you in partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. Learn more at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. I'm Don Crow. If it feels like the world changed a lot as a result of the COVID pandemic, I put it simply, that's because things really did change. Or maybe to be more precise, 
All that we saw through the response to the pandemic revealed a lot about where people are in their worldview and Christian commitment. Adam Rasmussen works with George Barna at Arizona Christian University in their Cultural Research Center. He joined me on my program. The COVID-19 pandemic has shaken the very foundations of faith in the United States. Uh, The physical and psychological effect of COVID, along with the economic, relational, and lifestyle effects of the government's drastic policies, have resulted in some seismic shifts in the worldview of Americans. Massive shifts in religious beliefs are highly unusual. Most religious beliefs change over the course of generations, not a few years. So this is very concerning. Now, you also say not only has, as you've already mentioned, the incidence of the biblical worldview dropped from 6% to 4% since the start of the pandemic, but substantive changes also occurred in more than a dozen religious beliefs and behaviors of Americans. Can you take us into that for a moment? Yes, I'll just start with some bad news. Church attendance, uh, weekly church attendance is down 6%. That equates to 15 million people less are going to church than they were in 2020. Here's another sad statistic. In the United States, the belief that I have a unique God-given purpose for my life in 2020, that was at 66%. It's now down 20% to only 46%. And then, Don, when we look at born-again Christians, it's down even more. This idea that they have a unique God-given purpose among born-again Christians was at 88%, but it dropped a whopping 42%. Only 46% of born-again Christians think that they have a unique God-given purpose. You've probably heard the expression, it's an old one, I don't know where it originated, but someone said the fires of persecution do not cause martyrs, it simply uncovers or reveals them. And I'm wondering if that might be applicable to the pandemic. In other words, you know, the thing that God calls us to is integrity of heart and honesty before him. And I think, as you've said, the church attendance uh, drop off is reflective of folks who maybe were going to church for the wrong reasons. What do you think? Yes, I think that God in time does prune the church. We see a remnant. I'm also mindful of when I'd be at camp and we'd have a fire, you know, and one of the ways to put a fire out is to kick away all of the the logs and the embers so that they're burning alone. And I think that Americans are adrift and they're alone. And, And when we weren't meeting together, I think it's taken a toll. It's taken a toll on people's hearts and minds, and we need to come back together under the Word of God. Uh, Dr. Rasmussen, no wonder when you realize the impact of crises in our lives. And as a matter of fact, I believe your colleague, Dr. Barna, deals with that. He says most religious beliefs change over a course of generations, not a few years. The exception to this one is during major life crises, maybe an economic calamity, a loss of a job, a death of a loved one, maybe an acrimonious divorce or a relationship ending. But he said this really is in that category of a major life crisis. So can you elaborate more on the impact of that as opposed to the daily troubles people may be going through year in and year out? I'd be happy to do that. And it it is difficult when we individually go through a crisis, as you've mentioned. Now, compound that 
uh, a million fold or almost 300 million fold and see what that does. And we've seen these massive shifts happen because of what's happened to our country. And I do think, as you were pointing out earlier, that there's a refining that goes on. There are some ideas that are moving more towards biblical thought, and we can praise God for that. But uh, this has been a very difficult time for our nation. I think we've got more difficult times ahead. The question is, will people return uh, to the Bible as their foundation, or are they going to continue to splinter off into what we would call syncretism? 88% of Americans are syncretists. They take a little bit of this religion, a little bit of Christianity, a little bit of their own subjective thoughts. It's kind of a customized blend that satisfies the emotional needs of the individual. And these individuals are seeking comfort and security more than spiritual and intellectual consistency. But as I pointed out earlier, it doesn't satisfy. People do not have a sense of satisfaction in their life because they're they're not flourishing. They're not flourishing under the Lordship of Christ in all of life. And like you said, it comes back to teaching the Bible in our churches, in our homes, in our own personal study. Coming up. At some point, we have to wake up. And the question is, are you awake? Are you paying attention? Are you still playing shuffleboard on the deck of the Titanic, complaining about the hors d'oeuvres? Pastor Alan Jackson, when the Christian Outlook continues in just a moment. Stay with us. As the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy celebrates our 25th anniversary year, please watch our new promotional video based on Ronald Reagan's 1976 radio address, Shaping the World for 100 Years to Come, on our Pepperdine SPP YouTube channel. And if you know someone who's thinking about graduate school this fall, we welcome applications at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. That's publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. Welcome back to The Christian Outlook. I'm Don Crow. I hope you've been both encouraged and challenged with what we've been looking at today, getting a sense of the true state of the church today and what we ought to be about in our labors in front of God. Pastor Alan Jackson of Alan Jackson Ministries was a guest of Eric Metaxas in the New York City studios of Eric. Let's start with you, if you don't mind, reprising the thesis of your book, Big Trouble Ahead. Basically, what do you say in that book? Well, I think the idea was the pandemic uh, was not a conclusion. It was an entry into a new season. And from this vantage point, I really think it was a gift feels like the curtain got pulled back and we became so much more aware of what had been happening to us. It wasn't new. Uh, the, maybe the downside of that is I think there's more disruption in front of us and we have to learn the lessons from that pandemic in order to flourish in what's before us. But the good news is we can flourish. God's not frightened or intimidated. You know, I never thought of this before, but it was kind of like Pearl Harbor. Nobody says Pearl Harbor was a good thing, but it woke up America Uh, and it made us understand, okay, now uh, we've got to put our our shoes on and uh, go to war with imperialist powers that we've been kind of ignoring. Uh, Sometimes bad things can be the the wake-up call that activates uh, us, whoever we are, and you're you're right to see it that way. And, of course, that's a biblical view, right? We we think Romans 8.28— really bad things, if we give them to God, the Lord can use. And he is doing that. I mean, what you, you know, what, what happened during COVID, again, you say this in the book, we said in our conversation, it, it has 
activated a lot of people. It's made them realize I can't sit on my hands anymore. I can't just go to church on Sunday and say I'm done. It's activated some people. I'm not ready to say it's activated a lot yet. Yeah. But I think awakened is a really good analogy. When you're asleep, you're uninvolved, you're unconcerned. Uh, It's not a bad thing. It's a natural state of being, but it's not fruitful. And at some point we have to wake up. And the question is, are you awake? Are you paying attention? Are you still playing shuffleboard on the deck of the Titanic complaining about the hors d'oeuvres? Right. And we've got to make a choice now whether we're going to look at the truth and do something about it right. or keep pretending that we don't notice. Well, uh, and, and obviously in my book, which I spoke with you about on your podcast and at your church, Letter to the American Church, you know, I'm, I'm trying to make the biblical case like, hey, folks, where did, where did we drift to where we thought we didn't need to be active citizens putting our faith into action in every sphere. Where do we get that unbiblical idea, and can we get away from that unbiblical idea? And I've been thinking about a, a, a lot about Bonhoeffer over the years. He was trying to make this case in Germany that, hey, church, this is your job. This is not a hobby. This is your job. Your faith has to be lived out in every sphere, and when evil threatens you, when authoritarian regimes, tyrannous regimes are taking away your rights. It's your job to do something about it. Uh, and I, and I, and I do, I agree with you. Some people are waking up, certainly not enough, but you and I are both making the case in our, in our different spheres. Um, I guess, uh, I, I want to talk to you about so many things. There's no doubt that one of the craziest things that's happened in the last few years is the transgender, uh, you know, uh, issue. Where in the world did this come from? And how is it that people are unwilling to call a spade a spade to say, excuse me, this is crazy. Five minutes ago, we decided men can become women and women can become men. Who made that decision? And who's telling me that I have to agree with that decision? I mean, as a pastor, how how do you how do you talk about that? Well, you ask about the origins. I think it's the pit of hell. You know, God's not the author of confusion. I think the awkward part of this is it hasn't begun in the last few months. Vanderbilt was doing gender modification surgeries on minors before COVID. We just didn't know it. It wasn't garnering headlines. It was a profit center for them. And the good news is COVID began to awaken us to the almost complete capitulation of the medical community to political ideology. They've stepped away from their Hippocratic oath and their first do no harm commitment, and they're engaging in doing harm for profit. That's awkward to say, but from this point in the COVID drama, we have to be willing to say it. This equally striking is the silence of the church. You know, our, you don't have to read very far into the book before it says God created them male and female. So you don't even have to read for the punchline. He hasn't changed his mind. He hasn't revisited it. It's not confusing. You know, Budweiser put a trans person on their can lately. It's worked out really well for them. But I, I suspect if you could interview one of the veterinarians that c- takes care of the Clydesdales for Budweiser, yeah, they have delivered hundreds of foals. When those new foals arrive, there's never been confusion, whether it was a colt or a filly. They have clarity. Or whether it came out of a stallion, perhaps. Yeah. Uh, I got to tell you, uh, we 
you and you and I know that that we have a long way to go because we we haven't taught these things in the schools, but we haven't even the main thing. And this is what gets to where we are. We're not teaching them in the churches. We're not teaching a muscular Christianity, an activist, courageous Christianity. That's the kind of Christianity that abolished the slave trade. That's the kind of Christianity that 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 helped wipe out slavery in America. That helped Lincoln win a war. Uh, it seems like we've forgotten that that's really what it is to have faith, is to live out your faith. But let's distill it back one step further. When we say it's not happening in the churches, we feel a little bit absolved because we're not the pastor or the church leader. It has to start at the kitchen table. We have to have the courage as parents to teach our children what nobility is, what honor is, what dignity is. Our aspirations for our children have to be greater than their happiness or to have the cutest dress at the prom or the biggest limo when they, they go with their peers. We have to be willing for our children to engage in the difficult issues of our generation, to plant in their hearts the aspiration to be difference makers. If we'll do that at the kitchen table, if we'll tell the truth at the kitchen table, and then we'll have the boldness to take the truth to the holiday table with that expanded family, there's going to be repercussions because every family tree has a few fruits and nuts, and it's going to be an awkward conversation. But then we have to lead with our faith when we go to the ball fields and we're sitting in the bleachers with our peers who are watching children and grandchildren to be willing to acknowledge that we're Christ followers and talk about what's happening in the world. If we'll bring that back to the fabric of our lives, churches will suddenly become filled with a new kind of courage. Unfortunate, but most pastors are employees. If the places they're serving have people that have a different kind of courage and strength, yeah, yeah. churches will find a new voice. Our faith can only under be, be understood in the light of the world we live in. To do less than that is to deny your faith. It's a false church. It's a false gospel. It's another gospel. When God was preparing Joshua to lead the the Hebrew slaves into the promised land, the message he gave him more than a half a dozen times was be strong and courageous. And I think if we will start there in our homes, with our friends, with our families, we will see a different outcome. Coming up, COVID's a gift. If we could thank God for the pandemic, it's like the curtain's been pulled back. More with Pastor Alan Jackson when the Christian Outlook returns in a moment. It is critical we keep AM radio in all cars and all trucks. Hey, Sean Hannity here. More than 80 million Americans depend on AM radio. It is the backbone of the emergency alert system, and that keeps us safe in dangerous times because when cell and Internet services are down, AM radio might be your only lifeline. Now text AM to the number 52886. Tell Congress that we need AM radio in our cars. Text AM to 5286. Eight six today. Welcome back to the Christian Outlook. I'm Don Crow. These last three years, I am well aware, have held numerous challenges for many of you in your personal lives. But they have also been a great diagnostic. If the church is the patient, we now know much more about the health and strength of the body. Let's return for a few more minutes of Pastor Alan Jackson with Eric Metaxas. What I get excited about is that there's a lot of non-believers waking up and voicing common sense truths, and in a sense, and God always does this, shaming Christians into, you know, who do I have to listen to to hear common sense, a comedian or whatever? I should be hearing it from my fellow Christians. I should be hearing it from the pulpit. So there's just something interesting happening in the culture that things are so bad that a lot of people who are just 
noticing that these things are preposterous, are daring to talk about them, and when a lot of Christians are kind of hanging back. Yeah, the theater of the absurd has become so bizarre. And some of us are actually growing weary with being given bread and being sent to the circus, that we're starting to grapple with what's happening. You see, I don't think that we're motivated just by freedom. We should be motivated by the obligation of love. We have an obligation to tell the truth. That's an expression of love. If you go to the oncologist and he doesn't tell you you're sick, he's not your friend operating in love. He's a quack and it's malpractice. And the church has been a little guilty. But as you said, we're waking up in record numbers. COVID's a gift. If we could thank God for the pandemic, it's like the curtain's been pulled back. And there's all these people now stepping into the light and we're blinking. It's a little uncomfortable. But God is mobilizing us. There's something good ahead of us. People in America you know this as well as I do, but like if we have a kind of a national sin, it's we want to be liked, we're nice. We all have things that can be good, but that can turn bad. And when you are kind of tolerating something that's like in your face crazy, you know, sometimes that's politeness and other times it's just fear of man. Yeah, well, you used the pendulum discussion earlier, and I think we're guilty of that in America, and it's especially in the church. You know, the pendulum always swings back this way. Things balance out. Now, th- that, that idea really expresses a profound ignorance of history. The British lost the empire. Rome did collapse. The, the Jews were driven out of Jerusalem, and the temple was burned. The pendulum does not always come back to center. It requires choices on our part and some intentional decisions. Or I'm with groups of Christians frequently, and they say, well, you know, the church is the sleeping giant. I pray that's true, but I have enough experience in the church. I don't know that there's a giant sleeping. I think there might be something small sleeping, and I pray it wakes up. But I think we're going to have to seek the Lord as if our lives depended upon it. Right. We're going to have to get far more intentional. You and me, I'm not pointing my finger at anybody else. I've got to know the Lord in a better way next week than I know him this week. In greater power, I have to recognize the voice of his spirit. We have followed the conventional wisdom of the secular culture for so long, we don't recognize the truth any longer. It's uncomfortable to us. I'm not asking somebody else to be the difference. I'm saying I'll change my schedule, my life. I'll be vulnerable. Let's go tell the truth. That concludes our program today. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, go to ChristianOutlook.com and take a moment to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Google Play, and never miss these and other great conversations. Thanks for joining us. Our program has been brought to you in part through our partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. I'm Don Crow. Join us again next time for The Christian Outlook. Run the Army's race in person at the Pentagon. Army 10-Miler General Registration is now open. Go to Army10Miler.com to register today. General Registration presented by General Dynamics. Register today at Army10Miler.com.